Hello, this is The Book Alchemist with me, Heather Sutty. This podcast is for you if you love reading and brilliant recommendations. Our guest today is Alistair Braidwood from the Scots Wehey website and podcast, which covers all areas of Scottish culture. He has a PhD in Scottish literature and has worked with Alistair Gray in the role of both secretary and later as editor. A fascinating guest, Alistair shares his love of libraries and Scottish authors. Alistair, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's my pleasure, Heather. Lovely to see you. You are a massive reader, but you're also a podcaster. Tell me about your podcast. Well, the the Scots We Hate podcast, that came from, I started a website, I was doing a PhD in Scottish literature, and I'd kind of become stuck. I kind of was sick of it and all those kind of things, but I knew I wanted to keep writing. And at the time, there was a lot of music blogs I was interested in who wrote about Scottish bands, that kind of thing. I thought, nobody's done this for books. And people would often ask me, oh, can you recommend me a Scottish book? And I'd be like, oh, sit down, I could recommend you tons. (laughs) So I thought, that's what I'm going to do. So that was the inspiration behind the website. And then three years after that, podcasts started to be a thing. And I was listening to like the Guardian football one and... uh, Ricky Gervais's one, and all these ones that kind of were the first around. And I thought, this is good. I could do that. I knew a few writers. I thought they'd be good to talk to. And um, with my friend Ian Gregson, who still does a lot of the technical stuff, we started up doing the Scots Way Hey podcast. And it started out on books, as the website did. But my interest is in other things. I'm a bit greedy that way. So I was interested in music and theatre and film and recently opera, which was something I never thought I would get into. Um, So this website and the podcast became about more than just books, but books really is my real love and what I kind of return to. And I would say the vast majority of the podcasts have been book-related, either writers or publishers or, um, you know, end-of-year reviews and that kind of thing. So you did a PhD in Scottish literature. Where did you do that? At Glasgow Uni. And before that, what was your journey to get you there? All right. So I left school. My teachers at school would have thought there's no chance of that. <laughs> so I, I left school uh, with not very many qualifications, but I was already working part-time in a restaurant, in a kitchen in a restaurant. So I went and did uh, HND, and I started an HND in catering at Food Tech, which is no longer there in Glasgow. I was having much more fun in the restaurant than I was going to college. Mm-hmm. So I kind of chucked that and went to work in Cafe Gandolfi, well-known Glasgow Lovely. restaurant, and kind of worked my way up there to uh, chefing for, for quite a while, and then chefed elsewhere as well. But in 95, I went oh, itchy feet. I wanted to see the rest of the world or some of the world. So I went to Australia to work in Australia and kind of stopped off in various places on the way. While I was there, I did. I was reading a lot anyway. I always read a lot. I read a lot even when I was at school, but I was reading the stuff that I wasn't supposed to. So I was mm-hmm. reading American writers and things that we weren't getting marked on, you know, biographies of James Dean and Marilyn Monroe and all <laughs> that kind of stuff. Um, so I was always keen reader. Read a lot of philosophy, actually, when I was away travelling. Uh, maybe lends itself to that. And when I came back, I thought, I didn't give university a chance. I was 26 at this point. I want to give it a go at least. So I did an access course at night time and then enrolled at Glasgow Uni in my late 20s. Did an initial degree in philosophy, then 
realised that there's not many jobs you get with a degree <laughs> in philosophy for the best will in the world. So I went back to what I knew and went back to kitchens and did that again, but I still thought I wasn't finished. And I'd done two years of Scott Lit, Scottish literature while I was studying my philosophy degree and really got into it. I'd already was a big fan of James Kelman and uh, Ian Banks and Liz Lockhead and all these kind of big names that many of us know. But I got much more of a grounding. I did the history of it and all of these things. So I wanted to go back. I went back and did a master's, a year's top master's, which they kind of do a very quick overview of the technical stuff and the kind of theory stuff. And then I was able to do a PhD on James Kelman and Ian Banks, comparing and contrasting the two writers writing about Scotland and the different themes they wrote about. So that was it. That was up to that point. And that's when I started Scots with Hay as well. Amazing, amazing. I love I love that you went back to it and that you had this real passion that clearly started from when you were very young. Yeah. What made you choose those two particular authors for your dissertation? I'm just intrigued as to why it was those two. Well, two that I loved. Two that I think... Now, this might be my memory playing tricks. Mm -hmm. but in my head, I bought... The Wasp Factory and the Bus Conductor Hines on the same day in Caledonia Books on Great Western Road. Love I it. probably didn't, but that's what I was thinking <laughs> when I look back on it. Okay. But I wanted to write about two writers who were at the time both alive. Ian Banks was still with us at the time, writing in Scotland, kind of the same age, but in a very different way and see how they looked at things like gender, home, masculinity, all sorts of different things uh, and use the kind of text itself to examine these things. So that was the reason behind it. I could have picked other ones, but partly it was so I could go back and read all their books. Uh -huh. I have to say I didn't do Ian Banks' sci-fi because I think that would have taken me in a different direction. Mm -hmm. So it was just mm -hmm. as, as non-sci-fi novels. So when you were growing up, were books a big part of your childhood? They were. My dad was a big reader. And some of my earliest memories are of him as a child. And again, I've seen pictures of this, so I don't know how much of this is, is reflected, but uh, he used to read with me uh, at a really young age, lots of kind of kids' books. But the one I really remember is The Hobbit. He would read a kind of chapter or half a chapter every night before I would kind of fall asleep. So books were always a big thing. And then things like football magazines and music magazines and, and all of that stuff. And then the Books at school, the Penguin and the Puffin Club that you used to be able to buy these books there. And I'm just, it's kind of coming back to me now as we're talking. Uh, things like the Famous Five books and uh, the Narnia books and all of those things. So yeah, I was constantly had a book with me. Something that remains to today. You know, I, I feel I'm kind of lost if I don't have at least a book within reach. And were libraries a big part of growing up? Oh, very much so. I was talking about this with my brother recently, Campus Lang, that's where I'm from, Campus Lang. We used to go to Campus Hang Library on a weekly basis with my dad usually and he would go and he would just leave us in the kids section and we would sit and read, you know, everything from Asterix to the hmm. kind of ghost books that you got at the time that, you know, I think it was the Macmillan Book of Ghosts or something like that. And yeah, we would constantly be in and out and taking things out of libraries and it's it's a real shame, I think, what's happened to a lot of li Campus Lang libraries no longer there, it's flats now. But yeah, they were hugely important. And school libraries too were of big importance. When we look back to your childhood, do you have a particular favourite author or favourite book? I mean, Tolkien's The Hobbit, that's like a big book for, you know, a young person. Well, you know, your dad was clearly ahead of the curve. I think very much my dad's personality would be to read what he wanted to read rather than <laughs> 
was for us. So he was probably enjoying it more, you know. But it is a story of, you know, golems and hobbits and weird creatures and all that stuff. So it wasn't that far from some of the other fairy stories that you like to, to read us. I remember a story about a kid being taken on the shoulders of this giant and as he got nearer the middle, the giant got smaller and smaller until the boy had to jump off. And, and I can't remember the point of the story, but that kind of fantasy aspect, it still sticks with me today. I still like that kind of book. But yeah, The Hobbit, looking back, it's it's a lot of reading. I mean, it must have taken about mm. a couple of years. That's what I'm thinking. Like, that's a big investment of time. And I didn't read Lord of the Rings till I was about... 16, many, many wow. years later. Yeah. Even then, like way ahead of the curve for Alistair, because obviously those books have all been translated into films now, mm. which have been a global phenomenon. So, you know. My dad had them, I think, in, his, in the house. Uh -huh. So they were there for us to pick up and look at. And they had kind of The Hobbit. I've still got that copy of The Hobbit that read me. It's all falling apart. Wow. But it's got a dragon on the cover. And it's, you know, these things which are quite exciting. Yeah. Yeah, very much so. So, Scots Way Hey is all about your love of, of all things Scots, but let's focus on literature. So, what is the book that you recommend the most when people ask for a book that's evocative of, of Scots work? Well, it's it's a difficult one, difficult one to answer, but I've now got to the stage that I have an answer, so I, I can think of it straight away. And it is Ron Butlin's The Sound of My Voice, which was published back in 1987, but I didn't read it oh, until the late 90s, I think, possibly, when I was starting to get much more into Scottish literature, when I was learning about other writers apart from Irvin Welsh and the kind of really big names. Mm -hmm. And... The reason why was because I'd never read a book like it. It's all written in second-person narrative, which is quite rare. I say it's all written. There's a little bit that isn't. If I can just... I've got a copy here. If I yes, can just read a little of bit. Of course, please do. To give you an idea in case people aren't sure what I mean by that. And at the time, it had a cover quote. In fact, it's on this cover as well. A genius piece of fiction by Irvin Welsh. And I was such a big Irvin Welsh fan that I thought... If it's good enough for Irvin, then I'm going to give this a go. <laughs> but this is the very beginning, and it says, You were at a party when your father died, and immediately you were told a miracle happened, a real miracle. It didn't last, of course, but was convincing enough for a few moments. An hour later, you took a girl home and tried to make love to her. You held on to her as she pleaded with you. Even now, her distress is still the nearest you have come to feeling grief at your father's death. Now, that's it's so complex what's going on, and that you, you, you is through the whole thing. So I was used to reading books where, you know, it was, well, I went to the shops and I did this and I did that, or Morris Magellan, who's the hero, or the hero, the main character in the book, you know, went to the shops and did this. So I don't think I'd read anything like this, or if I did, I hadn't noticed, and it hadn't taken the whole book. And so it takes a couple of readings for me to really understand what's going on, and you realise, this is quite... An, it's not giving anything away to say the story is about um, an alcoholic who is living, he's got a decent job with his wife and kids in kind of suburbia, well-paid, management level, and wow, is he struggling. And, uh, and yeah, it, it, to me, it's an amazing piece of writing that still stands up today. And it just so happens as we speak, Ron's just, or just about to even have the follow-up. So in 1987, 2003, and he's finally written the follow-up to so many, it's called So Many Lives and All of Them Are Yours. Um, yeah, and I've read it and it's brilliant. Wow. Have you told him that you're a fan of his work? I have been lucky enough to 
have a chat on a podcast with him. And I'm going to chat about the new book as well. And he's such a lovely man. And I thought in a kind of naive way that this is so kind of evocative of someone's struggle with drink that the writer must have had similar. And he hasn't. Wow. He says this is just from either people he knew or from his own imagination. And it just shows you what a great imagination can do um, yeah, I've had a great conversation. He knows how much I fanboy uh -huh. over the sound of my voice. Um, yeah, that, that was a lovely chat. And that's one of the great things, I'm sure you've found the same, about doing such podcasts, is you get to meet the people that write your favourite books mm -hmm. sometimes, and it's incredible. Mm -hmm. It's amazing. And I, lo I love your energy and your enthusiasm and your passion. It's so important. And that's what I love about what you're doing, because you are basically giving a platform to Scott's talent, because... It's a hugely competitive world, mm. book selling, isn't it? Absolutely. I mean, I've done a few with publishers and they will tell you um, that. Uh, and a lot of Scottish writers and Scottish publishers will say, for some reason, you've got that almost the equivalent of Hadrian's Wall, where it doesn't transit. Sometimes it's very difficult for Scottish writers to break it, particularly if they're writing in Scots. It's why a success of a book like Graham Armstrong's The Young Team or Graham McRae Burnett's His Bloody Project, which has got, you know, wider, is so important um, because it's it's still so incredibly rare. And still people, it's that initial question of, oh, you're doing Scottish literature, can you recommend me a Scottish book? And you think, oh, you should, there's so many. Yeah, so there's manners. There's more and more now <laughs> yeah. than there's ever been being published each week, which is why it's so difficult mm -hmm. to... I mean, you just can't cover everything no matter how much you try, but say... It's good to give people a platform, I think, and the more people like yourself and myself that are doing these things, the better it is, definitely. I know writers appreciate it, absolutely. Yes, I mean, that's one thing that I've become acutely aware of is that it's really difficult in such a competitive market because you're you're competing against the likes of celebrity memoirs or ghost-written novels and things. It's, it's just so competitive, isn't it? Yeah, it's so competitive and... It's and some of the books that get overlooked are so good. Mm -hmm. You know, you think, oh, so you should really be reading this. Remember, a fop used to do CDs for a fiver. Yep. And if I saw a copy of the Blue Nile Hats and I knew somebody didn't have it, I'd say, right, you've got here. I would buy it for them and give it to them. And I kind of feel that way about the sound of my voice. If you don't have it, you know. There you are. In fact, you wow. can have that one if you haven't oh, read it. Oh, <laughs> thank you so much. I haven't read it. And I haven't heard of this author either. Oh, well. He's, he, now, Ron is kind of known as a poet as well. He's kind of a successful poet. He writes librettos for opera. He's a hugely talented guy. His wife, Reggie Clare, is also a writer. You know, you, And that's one of the things I've found as well. The more connections you make, the more connections you realise there are. And there's so much more to discover. So one of the the perks with your podcast and your website is that you get to go to lots of book events. Yes. I have never been to a book festival. Right. What am I missing? Well, gosh, what an interesting question. So I went to a lot. Now I do chair quite a few events at book festivals, which I really enjoy. But before that, I did go to them. And again, you just meet, well, Doing the podcast, you'd maybe get to meet authors. But even before that, you would just get to hear about these books that you've probably read or these writers. I remember seeing James Kelman, who is a real hero of mine, in Waterstones on Socky Hall Street when they used to do events downstairs. And I was kind of a bit starstruck. 
You know, when I was in Gandolfi, we used to get quite a lot of well-known well, people well coming known, in. But it's Billy Connolly's yeah. favourite place to eat. Yeah, exactly. But he was in a lot, right? yeah. and and uh, and other people. And because you're at work, you kind of maybe didn't get. But with writers, I often get. Oh my goodness! I know. So do I. <laughs> I'm I'm like that all the time. I'm like, oh gosh, you're really, you're really clever. <laughs> I think it's. I'm so impressed when people because a lot of people say, oh, "Have you not thought of writing your own book?" No. Mm-hmm. I'm so impressed by people who have got the, yeah. the, the the imagination and the drive. And I think that's the thing with a lot of writers is they have to do it. There seems to be a compulsion to get what's in their head yeah, yeah. down onto the page or onto the screen or whatever it might be. It's the discipline as well, isn't it? It's it's not just the actual act of sitting down. It's the research. It's the thinking. It's the plotting. It's the language it's the style it's the tone it's the pace it's the concept there's so many elements that's right and there was the and the editorial process as well i I worked briefly for a publisher that's no longer going called cargo publishing which was great and i was often editing people's books and that process it can take a long long time until both parties are happy with it and it's funny one of the main reasons that i am so passionate about having people on to the podcast to enthuse by brilliant books and also the the online book group that I have on Facebook which I set up during lockdown you know the mantra is life is too short for shit books so we only trade on great recommendations because you know what it's like if somebody disses something that you do something that you've absolutely you've created you've nurtured you've spent hours and hours you know emotionally spiritually mentally financially physically investing in this thing and then all it takes is one person to go, that was shit. Nah, I didn't like it. It's so devastating, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. I mean, I've had it myself with comments online and things you might have done. And it can be a little throwaway comment. And you think, oh, because, you know, we're all, well, I'm quite fragile. Yeah, like, you know, we're all sensitive, yeah. aren't we? Ah, and to have something, as you say, that you've spent often, I think it was, I think it was more of a thing in the past in written reviews there was often, I used to see it in the music press, it was often really cruel. And I, from the start with Scott's way, he said, well, I'm not that. I'm not going to do that. If I don't like something, then I just won't write about it. That's fair enough. But if I do like it, and there are ways to be critically, uh, you know... Kind. Kind, that's the word, yeah. There are ways to be properly uh, uh, critical and still kind of give positive feedback yeah. as well. It's funny, I think the whole concept of... Um critics is really it's very alien to me you know you pick up a newspaper and I'm thinking well you know what qualifications do you have as a person to be able to go on and completely diss a book you know it must be crushing I mean sometimes I read the Sunday Times book reviews and you just think oh my gosh Mm. that's you've just destroyed that person's career yeah it is difficult it is difficult because I review for other publications as well and I'm aware there that I'm getting a paid for a job so you have to be as honest as possible however I still think when I do that there's a way of being positive in the criticism you can maybe highlight things that don't work for you but there's nearly always something that does work for oh, you yeah. and, and you can do that and of course having worked in restaurants and uh, which get reviewed often <laughs> two weeks after you've opened sometimes that can really I know. screw you that's over. the thing it's really I mean that's why I always think Reviews, critical reviews have to be taken with a massive pinch of salt because you just don't know what the context is. You don't know what the bias is. You don't know if that 
journalist or writer or reviewer was having a particularly bad day, you know, so that's interesting. So in terms of other Scottish authors Mm -hmm. that you have a penchant for, who would they be? Oh, right. Let me think. Have you read, uh, the reason I'm asking you this is because I haven't read these books yet for a very specific reason. I've had them since they came out. Uh They are on my bookshelves, but I believe the right books come to you at the right time. Right. And the two books that I've not read are both by uh, Douglas Stewart, Shuggy Bain and Young Mungo. Mm -hmm. Have you read those? I haven't read Young Mungo. Um, I have read Shuggy Bain and I enjoyed it. And I... I, the character of the mother in it is one of the great creations of recent times. It's amazing. It jumps a little bit around in terms of place, and I guess sometimes that's a problem with knowing a place well, like I know Glasgow well. So you think, oh, is that quite right? Um, I've just read a book which is coming out for a while, um, which is set in the West End of Glasgow, and that gets it spot on, you know. Mm. So that could be my kind of prejudices. Again, sometimes when things have a huge, huge hype, which these mm. did, mm-hmm then you come to it with different expectations. Absolutely. But also, the reason that I didn't go big on them and, and you know, I don't think I wrote a review of Shuggy Bain was because it was getting such coverage elsewhere. And I would like to think sometimes it's the people that aren't getting that coverage that I can cover. Yes, and that's what I love about what you do because you shine a light on the talent that doesn't have the big marketing budget, that's not being invited onto Radio 4 or, you know, the book review show on BBC Two or whatever it is. Uh, I think it's all about timing. I honestly believe Mm. it's about timing because I remember I had read in my book group, a few people had recommended um, Motherwell Mm -hmm. by Deborah Orr, which obviously was published um, after she sadly passed away. And for me, that was a really uncomfortable read because it brought back lots of memories. Mm -hmm. I think that's a really interesting comparison between Shuggy Bain and Motherwell because in some senses Shuggy Bain could have been a memoir, a similar type of memoir. Now, I think Douglas has said himself, it's pretty much his childhood growing up. I don't blame, I would never blame uh, Douglas Stewart for the promotion that he's had. You know, someone's picked it up and given him that, that's great. And any writer, I think, would kind of go and take that. But I think that is interesting. And there are some books, I'm trying to think of one now off the top of my head, and I can't, but that are uncomfortable, which I've read. And sometimes I haven't, have I finished them? I usually do finish books, but I wouldn't necessarily recommend them to other mm-hmm. people. Or if I did, I would say, just to let you know. Yeah, it you comes know, with a, a caveat. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So... Tell me about some female Scottish authors that well, have I was been... thinking when you asked me what, what Scottish authors I really enjoy, and the one who jumps to mind who's ranked today is Jenny Fagan. I love Jenny Fagan's work, her poetry and her fiction. And Denise Miner, who I just uh, spoke to recently for one of the Bloody Scotland podcasts, is such a versatile writer, writes about Glasgow brilliantly. When I remember reading Garnet Hill the same year I read A.J. Close's Forsaken, and they're both set in Glasgow in the, in the late 80s, early 90s, I'll say. And I suddenly went, this is the Glasgow I know. The bars, the I think Forsaken even references Cafe Gandolfi, but mm-hmm. the, the places, the art school up in, you know, the places that uh, they walk through. And that was kind of the first time that had happened. I'm going a little bit off topic here, I'm sorry. It's but great. That, that was the, because previously it had been the a, a very male perspective and also the pubs and this, you know, opening times and the violence. 
and all of those things, perhaps except Alistair Gray, but certainly, the, you know, the James Kelman stuff and all that, that was kind of that. And he was a different uh, perspective on that. So Denise Minot, Louise Welsh, I think has been, a, again, someone who writes brilliantly about the city and a very versatile writer. Zoe Strachan as well, who is new book is coming out. Going right back to the kind of dame in the mall is a Muriel Spark, huge Muriel Spark fan. Now, this is so interesting because you are the fourth person that I've been speaking to on this podcast that loves Muriel Spark and I have never read her. And I know that one of the books that you're currently reading is related. So tell me about your love of Muriel Spark and what you're reading just now. Okay, so Muriel Spark, I think probably the first... Actually, the first contact may have been watching the television version uh, in my... It might not even have been my teens. It might have been before that. But there was a... Scottish television did a, a serialisation of The Prime of Miss Jean Brodie, probably still her most famous book. And then I got the book and read it. It's only a slim uh, book. Just loved it. And then kind of went and read other things, didn't think much more about it. Then when I was doing Scotland at uni, we did a couple of weeks on short stories... And one of the books was Muriel Sparks' short story collection, which is an incredible, if you like your short stories, I really recommend it. And it's set, you know, some of them are set here, some of them are set in South Africa where she was living for some time. Really amazing. And then I started to read her other stuff as well. And there are, there's lots of it. The Driver's Seat, which again was made into quite an odd film with uh, Elizabeth Taylor and Andy Warhol. If you're into your odd wow, movies, really? go and see that. Yeah, it was an wow. Italian-made movie. Um, but the book itself is quite incredible. It tells you what happens at the end, at the very beginning. And again, very slim volume. And I just think she's an amazing, amazing writer. And then the other night, I was at a book launch in Glasgow and it was for Gillian Sheriff's Brodie, which the premise behind that without giving anything away, is that a copy of The Prime of Miss Jean Brodie is sentient and tells the story of the people whose hands it has passed through over the years. And I've only just started it, but already you think this is a really different and really amazing uh, book. Gillian herself has a wonderful story also because um, in 2017 she was diagnosed with MS mm. and then in 2021... She was diagnosed with breast cancer. Um, she subsequently completed her treatment and all of the proceeds of Brodie are going to Beats and Cancer Care. Yeah, amazing. And that night at the launch, that was made clear and there was people from uh, the Beats in there and there was a lot of people who uh, Gillian knew from uh, the Beats in as well and it was unlike kind of any book launch. I've been to a few book launches, but this was pretty much unlike one I've been to because it was just... And it was quite grand as well. There was lovely food and wine. Not every book launch is like that. <laughs> if that was your first book launch, don't expect that at every single one. But it was amazing. And Gillian was amazing as well. She um, was fantastic in conversation. And uh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to finishing Brody. I can't wait. When I start a book, I'm always like, right, you know, I'm not going to my bed tonight. I need to get through this. <laughs> Likewise, that's why I've got big dark circles because I've been up late. Alistair, it's been an absolute joy to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. Will you please come back? Oh, Heather, I would love to and thank you very much for asking me. Next time I want to chat to you about books about music and particularly Scottish bands because I think that would be amazing. I'd love to do that. Super. Thank you so much. Thank you. My thanks to my guests and the biggest thanks to you for listening. New episodes drop every Thursday. And if you'd like to contact me, please email heather at thebookalchemist.com. <laughs>